<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. It's been about six months, but the boys are back in town. CNBC's Jay Yarrow, Farhad Manju from the New York Times, reunited once again to kick around some things that have been happening in the world of tech. Please enjoy. Oh, really? He, um, I mean, compared yeah. to how you sound, he sounds like he's just on a on a phone. It just sounds like tinny. Well, so, I, am on, yeah. I am on a phone. Well, I know. That's what I <laughs> You, That's just don't, you don't sound like one of the hosts of the program. You sound like the caller. Well, guess oh, well. what? <laughs> you I know am what? not the host of the program. That's so, true. Uh, so far, you're two for two. You are two <laughs> for two. It's, uh, yeah. All right. Since since we've dinked around, um, Jay, yeah. Jay, do the honors. You know what the honors Hello. are. Wait, I, you said to do the honors. I did the honors. Am I and now? Keep, yes. Do it again. Hello, it's the Jay and Farad Show, sort of. I'm Jay Arrow, uh, executive editor at CBC. You are? I'm Farad Manju, uh, columnist at the New York Times. And uh, we're not, this is not actually our show. Yeah, and I'm Brian. This is my show. Um, we're going to spare you all of the Skype Michigas that we just had to go through. Um, but which is the reason I, we don't do a podcast anymore. Exactly. Uh, which is why, uh, yes, Jay does sound like he's on a phone because he is. Um, <clears throat> let me get right to it because Jay, I think the, f- you wanted to ask, first of all, by the way, for the first time at, you always recommended, I do no prep for this at all. So I've done no prep, Great. but the Great. last thing, the last thing I heard from Jay was that he wanted to ask Farhad about his California column. So let's tee that up and get going. Oh, okay. Sure. I thought, uh, I thought that the column was interesting. He, uh, basically Thank went you. to this, tell us what it is. He said, California is over, right? Uh, I say California's over. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just, it, it does feel like it's over. There's, uh, like smoke in the air. There's less smoke today. There was some smoke over the weekend. Um, you know, fires every year, uh, housing affordability, like, uh, homelessness, um, traffic, traffic is so bad. Like in the, I moved to the Bay area from Southern California because traffic was unimaginable there and you had to like drive two hours all the time to get anywhere. And now it's like that in, um, in the Bay area. I, and like, I just get the sense that, um, people, companies, uh, like just new workers, uh, everyone is like much more skeptical of California than in the past. And like these fires every year get people really thinking about, um, like whether this is a good place to live. Um, I mean, I, my job and my wife's job and like our kids school is tied to this place, like in a kind of semi-permanent way. Um, but not your uh, job, not your job anymore. Yeah. Not my job anymore. I mean, it, it's true. I, uh, I feel, I mean, I, I, since I have been doing this uh, opinion job, like I have been thinking more about leaving California. Um, I, we're still like, I feel like we'll be here for at least a few more years, but um, 
it's doesn't it doesn't feel like the most livable place anymore it feels like you're uh just like on this treadmill to make uh to make money to pay off the mortgage for your like a uh, small tiny house where everything else is and like there's fires all around you doesn't feel great yeah. where would you go i don't know that's the thing um i feel like uh new york seems really fun but it's, uh, I've I've said many times on this show the amount of people, including Gabe Rivera, who I, I you know I didn't convince him to come to New York. He came to New York for other reasons. But the amount of people that I know from the Bay Area in the last three years that have come to New York, the other places that a lot of people that I know from the Bay Area have gone are like Austin and L.A. Actually, but you know, you yeah, I mean, there too. L- L.A. I I grew up in Southern California. I don't have a great. Uh, I, it, it's pretty. It's nice, but and the weather's nice. But other than that, I'm not. Uh, a big fan. Austin seems um, really cool. I mean, uh, I, I think I would consider Austin. I would also consider like Seattle, which has similar problems to the Bay Area, but it seems to be solving them at a better, uh, in a better way. Um, the Bay Area just seems like stuck in this kind of structural way. People still want to come and live here, but like, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But I mean, the question is, like, just to bring it around to like a, is there a tech angle to this sort of thing is, I mean, you know, I've been in the industry for 20 years and I've been hearing that, that the Bay Area is too expensive and it's over and there's going to be, actually, I, I did an interview with Steve Case this week about Rise of the Rest. And so this idea that, you know, one of these days, uh, you don't have to do a startup in Silicon Valley, but I mean, again, that's one of those things that I've been hearing for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I've been hearing that for a long time, too. And, like, we've done stories in The Times and elsewhere about all these different cities around uh, the country that have been that have tried to build, uh, you know, Silicon Valleys for themselves. And they haven't gone, you know, extremely well. Um, I don't think it's going to happen like that. I feel like what's going to happen is uh, you're going to have perhaps not like other Silicon Valleys, just sort of more business activity, like more satellite offices, everything else kind of going to other places. I mean, all the big tech companies are doing that now. They have enormous offices outside of the Bay Area. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the companies, like, um, I think Slack, this may be not true anymore, but, you know, when Slack started, Slack was, like, based in Vancouver and San Francisco, and um, Stuart spent a lot of his time in Vancouver. Um, I feel like more and more companies might do that kind of thing where they split, uh, you know, places for headquarters like Amazon was supposed to do. Yeah, um, we chase them out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be, like, one other place, but I think that there's just so much kind of difficulty about the Bay Area that people will slowly start to think of, you know, alternatives and they may not be one other alternative, but just, you know, a bunch of different places. Um, Jay, I've got a question for you in a second, but, uh, Farhad, I have a question about the column about, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and maybe why not retire? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I've said it on the show in two ways. Like I, I specifically said, why are they trying to do, um, Libra, like, why do they need this? Yep. Why do they need to yeah. lean into things that people that, that are going to be controversial? But then the larger point that obliquely I've said is like, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of cheap. It's kind of like, well, why don't you just go buy an island and and you know live with, off your billions forever? But at the same time, you know. I think maybe, uh, you know, I, I think Gates stepped down. Maybe yep. he was 10 years older than, than Zuckerberg. I, but I genuinely wonder, like, why does he still need to push this vision of whatever it is he thinks Facebook needs to be? 
I, Hasn't, I, haven't they won? <laughs> like, that's how I feel. Well, I'm, I mean, I think one problem with Facebook is they think that they haven't won. I mean, I feel like the, the major difference between Facebook and Google in how they think about themselves is Facebook still thinks about themselves as kind of this like underdog. Like the way when you talk to them, they think about themselves as kind of being, um, you know, the company they were 10 years ago. Um, and I don't think that they realize that the world sees them differently. And I feel like the reason they do all these things is they just don't understand that the, the, their size is and power and like I guess you could say perceived size and power because if they don't agree, but is their biggest liability? Like I think the Libra thing could work if it was you know pushed by any other company uh, like Visa or Mastercard or just like and, and Zuck said that, that yeah. in, in Congress, yeah. Right. It's just it's just like any association with Zuckerberg himself with the brand, and like I don't think he can change that. Like I think that. The Larry Page strategy, just as a business strategy, just seems much smarter. Like, kind of go away, be in the background, and put out uh, people that you don't like. No one knows, like Sundar, as your um, as like your business managers, and that really, I mean, Google is a bigger company. It has kind of arguably more political power, more obviously more power in the ad business. Um, and, you know, Facebook is the one that gets, like, uh, all the attention from the media, from lawmakers. Um, and I think that really has to do with how kind of front and center and um, aggressive Facebook's strategy has been, just kind of comm strategy, like, you know, marketing, public relations, regulatory uh, strategy has been. Jay, don't you think – I know this is an impossibility for, you know, the, the reasons that we all know about, you know, voting rights and things like that. If If – Zuckerberg and Sandberg were both to step down in 2020 and like, it was like, okay, this is a new generation. You know, we're approaching 20 years of this company. It would be over 15 years. Don't you think that that would like, maybe like be amazing for the stock in a way? Uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I don't think that'd be amazing. (laughs) Okay. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. uh, Jay, tell me why. Uh, I think that the company has, what was it, like 28% year-over-year revenue growth. I think Mark Zuckerberg, you got it. You know, he, he is the founder. He's been there. He, he built Facebook. He had the foresight to acquire Instagram for a billion dollars. Uh, he had the foresight to attempt to acquire Snapchat at, for only $3 billion. Uh, he had the foresight. You could argue maybe Snapchat. his foresight, maybe it's too late. But he, yeah, he had the he had the drive to copy Snapchat and essentially kind of mitigate their strengths. He had the kind of insight to go get WhatsApp, um, and so I think like he, he, I think he's done a good job stewarding the company. I think he has sort of the uh, moral authority to do things like Libra. Uh, which, like, in, for the most part, I don't really understand, but he has the moral authority to kind of push forward and push them into new terrain, go by, like, Oculus, like, take those big swings. Uh, so I don't really see how it would be a huge uh, positive. I, from a, like, you guys, most people have a concern around messaging and right. whatever with Facebook uh, communication. I'm not sure a new CEO, uh, you know, 
you know, what has he done fundamentally that's mismanaged the operations of the business? And yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there. you make a great argument. Like the the best argument you may make for Zuckerberg and Sandberg, just for the current management at Facebook, is that is is the um, the financial performance and the um, the stock performance over this very very uh, sort of scandalous like bad media time. Like they've just done incredibly well. I mean, on the one hand, they're a monopoly in social networking. They're uh, a near monopoly in the um, in the ads business, uh, you know, or a duopoly with Google. Like they they have a lot of um, built in advantages, but those advantages came, you know, in they, they're not a very old company, and the advantages came as a result of Zuckerberg's own, uh, um, you know, own efforts. And so I I think that they're doing really well. He's like by all traditional metrics, he's doing really well as a CEO. Um, other than and, like the world hates him uh and like the world hates him i think is a long-term problem um like it's well, a long-term i would also say i would i would say why do you think the world hates him uh when i say the world hates him i mean like all regulators all lawmakers like like every but why do like why do lawmakers hate him uh, they hate him because, like, he's at the center of like all politics. Like, he's made like his platform is uh, like he's made himself sort of the target for Republicans who claim that he is biased against them, and for Democrats who claim that he's not like tamping down on lies. And like, that's an impossible situation for him to to get around. And like, the long term problem of that with that is so, like, I mean, do you think it's fair? Are, are either of those criticisms fair? Uh, I think that both of them. There's some. I. I, I I think that the Republican criticism of him of Facebook being biased towards Republicans is like uh, false, demonstrably. Uh, but I think there's a large base in America that believes it, and like that's sort of all that matters. Um, like the problem for Facebook is like they have. Is, ha- it, they, is they it all face- that matters? Is that all that matters? That people yeah, believe they, in that. Because because like false? whoever wins the next presidential election, there are you know like nearly all the states going after facebook um the uh justice department the uh ftc um like the the instagram merger and like instagram is being part of facebook is crucially important to them um i don't know if they can survive sort of increasing political pressure in in the u.s around the world like i think that's the long-term problem because like stemming from everyone hates mark zuckerberg like so yeah. Yeah. On to that end, let me let me pose a counterfactual that I'm not sure that I actually believe in and also there will be a ton of reasons you could shoot this down but but let me throw this at you. Let's say that the reason that they want to do Libra is because even if it hasn't happened yet and it's not showing up in the numbers, they know that, you know, it's the law of large numbers in a way they can only grow with population eventually at some point unless they create a, a new business line, right? Number two, let's imagine that there's a Democratic administration coming in 2020. Obviously, you know, there's regulatory issues all around the world as well. So what if 2020 was a year to, like, like Gates did at at Microsoft say and again this is one of the this is one the, why it's not a great analogy we're going to hand it over to the next generation he handed it over to Steve Ballmer that wasn't the best but you know what i'm saying like this would be a good pivot time to say gen- generationally the the company's doing great it's never been better but what i know is is that we need new blood and new ideas and a new generation in here to take it to the next 15 to 20 years 
Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if you the way you're characterizing it is sort of like step down, but he's like he could just remain no step back board. because remember yeah. Gates didn't step but down; Gates, he was Gates still yeah CTO right, and I think that's the kind of thing he could do. He could just sort of be not be the public face in the way that he is. Find now. yourself a, a Sundar or a Satya yeah. or somebody. Yes, yeah. I mean, any any. Um, you know, he has like capable people running like Instagram, um, running uh, the, the messenger, like running various parts of the business. And um, he could do that for like Facebook itself, for like the larger company. I think that's like a totally doable. I mean, and it's a strategy that just has worked really well for Google um, in terms of like regulatory risk. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I oh, another strategy for them is to just keep doing what they're doing because, like, that could work equally well. So, <laughs> uh, like, we in the press like harp on them, uh, and then every three months they um, return Stella a stellar earnings. So we could all be wrong. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Jay. Oh no, I disagree. I, I just don't see any reason for him to step aside. I really yeah. don't see any reason. Well, and also it's it's all academic because he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to. Um, speaking of people that didn't have to give up control unless they were paid a billion dollars, um, Jay, I know y- you're not necessarily super at 100% clued into Wall Street, but you're closer than. Farhad and I are <laughs> curious about what well, you you're might, you might actually be physically close, aren't you? In like that's thing? true. But anyway, that's true. Yeah, I'm right right on the water. So um, yeah, just take the R train. The um, yeah, exactly. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath. And on the app, it lets you know if you're burning fat or carbs and gives you tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workout, sleep, and even stress management. My wife and I have been doing this. All you have to do is breathe into your Lumen first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fats or carbs. Then, Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. Because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, better fitness results, better sleep, etc. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use RIDE to get $100 off your Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N dot M-E and use RIDE at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Miro is a visual collaboration platform that gives your team more clarity through comprehensive functionalities that work together with your existing tool sets to make any sprint ritual, whether it be a stand-up estimation, sprint planning, or retrospective, more efficient, clear, and ultimately more productive. When I did the AI resume project, I wanted it done fast and dirty. I used a remote team, and so I used Miro to keep everything on track. Miro helps ensure your team has the context they need before devoting time and resources to get the work done. With Miro, planning team tasks is smoother and gives everyone a clear sense of mission for every sprint. Plan sprints with ease using Miro's planner widget. Connect your team's Jira or Azure instance to your Miro board to visualize and filter tasks by sprint week, status, epic, and team. 
Normally, mapping dependencies just links one ticket to another, but Miro has visual representations on which tasks are dependent on others. Filter by a critical level, team, and more. Streamline your estimation ritual and quickly check if your team is over or under capacity to help them be more realistic and grounded on the team's capabilities, size, etc. Whether you work in product design, engineering, UX, agile, or marketing, bring your team together on Miro. Your first three Miro boards are free when you sign up today at Miro.com. That's three free boards at Miro.com. So, the the WeWork thing. Are you getting the sense that I you know there's been a lot of hand wringing about like well it's it's blown up the the whole idea of all of these unicorns coming to to market. Or maybe a certain kind of unicorn, like the whole hand wringing about, like, oh, everyone discovered unit economics and gross margins all of a sudden. Um, and then, and then just this week, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about like people concern trolling about Airbnb's IPO. Have you been able to detect like a, a an attitude change, a sentiment change about these unicorns coming to market on Wall Street? Um, what I would say is that so i've been thinking about this a little bit I, I think the first one of these that really kind of was the i guess you'd say canary in the coal mine if i'm using that uh cliche properly uh would be blue apron if you remember blue apron mm-hmm. it was valued uh as a technology company it had like a tech multiple and it had venture capitalists yeah. that went public and essentially lost 90 percent of its value right off the bat because people are like you have an app big deal you're just like this food delivery service and you've got to buy all your customers and it's unsustainable and we don't see an out on that. And then since then we've had Lyft, we've had Uber, obviously we were, couldn't get out the door. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Slack has been uh, crushed Pinterest. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, today it's down something like 20%. So it's back to either below or near its IPO pricing. Uh, well, and even the ones Snapchat. that have been doing well so far, like uh, uh, Shopify and um, Twilio and, and, and people like that, they've been uh, – so anyway, go ahead. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, I, I would say and – I, and I should know this better than I do, but I think more broadly in terms of the market, uh, there's been a shift towards profitability, towards companies that earn profits. And it's not just like about like growth. And you can look at like Netflix has had a bad year for, for its stock. I think it might be like it was up, but it's like really pulled back from where it was. So there's just been a broader shift like at a market level uh, to these companies that kind of like were growing, but not making money. And then the idea is like eventually like they're sort of, you had a green light to do that. Yeah, so Netflix is slightly up for the year but it's well down from like its highs. Uh, and I think that that comes back, that boomerangs back to these unicorns who are in that same bucket. So I think broadly the market has been a little bit wary of just that sort of company, but I think each company has its own uh, case to be made to the market. And so we'll see what Airbnb says. Um, but I think you, you got to have some level of like, we have a, plan, we're going to earn, we're going to earn money, et cetera. Like it, there has been a slight shift in sentiment. But that said, these companies are just start, like to say there's a shift in sentiment about the unicorns would indicate that a ton of unicorns had been going public and everything was going well. 
I don't know that any of these, like most of them haven't done well. Yeah, I feel like there's I feel like there's only one story here, and that story is SoftBank. Like the, the story here yeah. is that all the prop all the um private unicorns uh just got hugely bid up because there was this huge pool of money that was um you know pouring into all of them, uh either from SoftBank or from others trying to compete with SoftBank level money. And um that just drove up their private valuations higher than they could like sustain in a pri- in a public market. Like um, I mean, that happened with Uber, like SoftBank and, and the Saudis were like the last money into Uber. Um, the, um, it happened obviously with WeWork and like they couldn't even sustain that um, that IPO. Like I, I think that and, and I just don't understand like what they're going to do with their vision fund, too, if that ever comes around, um, because like the, the idea of putting all this money into startups that um just like have some vague relationship to the tech industry or um, maybe even like our good ideas, but not like, uh, you know, $47 billion good ideas. Um, that's just, I feel like that time has passed or like the, the record of that kind of investing just seems very bad right now. So I don't really know what they're going to do next. I'm like super interested in kind of the, the like post SoftBank um, uh, like startup story. Yeah, and that kind of gets back to what Jay was saying. It's like maybe what investors, public investors at least, have completely soured on is the idea that you can bring anything to market and you you just say, oh, it's a tech company. Yeah. Wait, it's a tech company that only just rents offices or it's a tech company that only delivers food? Like, how is that a tech company? Like, maybe that's the, the sort of shine that, that people have been trying to put on these unicorns that maybe no one's buying. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, mean, I think that, like many of these are tech companies in some, in the way we would think of tech companies, maybe 10 years ago or so, like, but like in everything is a tech company now, like the New York times is a tech company. Like we have, like, I think, I think in a way that sort of sheen of like, Oh, we make software to run our business or we like optimized by software. Like that's just sort of like what businesses do now. Um, and it's no longer just sort of a special thing that like, um, you know, requires like that will earn some huge valuation. Like, I well, but the point is, is right. Every, every company is a tech company at this point, you know, even Ford is a tech company at this point. Right. But the point is, is that then everyone was trying to use that to justify software multiples or SaaS multiples or something like that. And maybe that's, maybe that's, it's as simple as that is people are like, no, you're still a car company. You're still a real estate company. I mean, that doesn't apply to like, you mean like doesn't apply to Slack, for example, like Slack's problem, I think is that they face are they're facing like Microsoft as a competitor. Um, I don't think it applies to like Pinterest, for example, like Pinterest's um, problem may be that they're, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of competitors in the, in the ad market and like the social networking market. Like, I think that for some of these um, startups, the problem is that they face like big tech companies and big tech companies seem to be like, you know, doing better than ever. Um, and that's, uh, that's another problem. Um, the, uh, we're recording this November 1st. So, uh, Apple TV plus is live right now. So I guess this is the first major shot in, um, the, the streaming wars. Um, do you, Jay, I'm going to ask you this first. Um, Mm -hmm. are, are you getting a little more bearish on, on Netflix's, uh, situation in this? Go ahead. No, I'm I'm more. Uh, I mean, I tweeted this out a while ago, and the stock has gone down since then. So 
do with this what you will. I remain, if I were a person who bought uh, stocks, uh, I would buy Netflix, but that doesn't mean anyone listening to this should listen to me because I have no idea what I'm talking about, you could argue. Um, but I, Wait, what's I, I your theory? Like, like, why? Well, my theory is that Netflix has a, like, my theory is that Netflix shares are perhaps being, uh, like, bid down because of this great fear of Disney Plus, Apple Plus, um, you know, I work uh, for Comcast, and they have Peacock coming, mm-hmm. and HBO Max. So there's all these like services that are coming online. I think it is much more. You know, I think if you look at uh, the reviews of the first batch of Apple shows, yeah. they're not good. I think I think making TV shows is very difficult. Uh, making like well, making entertaining TV shows is very difficult. Uh, and so I think you're going to have this, you have this blast of activity coming forward in, in this period, this time next year. And then you look at what Netflix did. They, they signed people like Shonda Rhimes and, uh, who's the other guy, Ryan Murphy. And then the, they signed the, um, Game of Thrones guys. So while all these other, these companies were trying to get their service off the ground with one or two shows, Netflix went and hired all the talent that makes some of the most popular shows. If you look at the lead time on that, by the time this time next year, all of those services, Disney Plus, uh, HBO Max, Apple TV, will have been in market for a year. I'm not sure where they're going to be in terms of their programming development cycle, but all that talent that Netflix paid, all those programs are going to either be ready to come online or start getting teased. So you're going to have this profusion of new programming from some of the best showrunners in the business, while the other guys... Uh, are probably reloading uh, into their content cycle. So that's going to be, I think, a tailwind for Netflix. Netflix is already global and has a lot of room to run in terms of understanding local markets and local language. And they just have a huge uh, lead time on all of these guys. And and frankly, this is like maybe kind of silly, but there's an option value in the idea that Netflix has been so out on a limb on this, like so ahead of everyone, there's been nobody for it to like to clone and copy. So let's just say Disney and Peacock and everyone comes online with stuff. Someone's going to have a good idea that Netflix hasn't thought of and Netflix will be able to copy it a la Facebook with Snapchat. Uh, and that will hopefully, you know, not hopefully, but that would strengthen the Netflix service. So, you know, I, I don't know what the quote unquote total addressable market is. I think that Netflix has something like 160 million subscribers. I don't know how much bigger it gets. Oh, my other part of my bull case on Netflix is that um, Netflix also, from a revenue perspective, has never really dug into advertising. Uh, and I think it will have an opportunity to turn on the advertising revenue engine at some point, the way Amazon has. Uh, I know advertisers are desperate to get in there and target that audience. I don't think it's going to be like your, you know, standard, like a pre-roll or an interstitial. There'll be some clever way that they interject advertising. But I think that they can turn on advertising and generate a ton of revenue. So uh, in closing, the argument is there's a little bit of a dampening because all these services are coming online. I think once the the dust settles on that, we're going to see that Netflix programming is probably like more robust and arguably better. Uh, we will see Netflix have new programming coming uh, soon from some of the best showrunners, which will be a thing to spur signups. And I think they have an ability to turn on more revenue engines through advertising. And then yeah. hopefully 
well, not hopefully, but there's an optionality of learning from others. Yeah, I, I pretty much totally agree with Jay. Um, this is a disappointing Jay and Farhadi reunion because we are not fighting. But <laughs> you're not um, fighting, no. Yeah, I, um, I think that's mostly right. I, I, I think that. Um, the other thing is Netflix is doing really well internationally, both like in, in subscriptions, but also in the kinds of programming they're doing. Um, and that's like a, a really interesting strategy that I don't think any of the others are doing. Like they're making um, programs in different countries um, for those markets that are then being shipped around to different markets. Um, and that like adds this huge um I don't know, novel kind of programming and gives them this bonus for all the markets. Um, no one else is doing that. Um, also, I was surprised at how expensive HBO's streaming service is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I I suspected that the Apple shows wouldn't get good reviews, but I was like surprised at the um, like everyone is saying that they're bad. Um, and uh, that's like, I mean, the the thing about the Apple streaming service is it's going to be free for iPhone users and pretty cheap for um, the first year. Or so they're gonna you know they're they're gonna get like platform advantages there and like kind of like Apple Music in its first year, they'll probably get a ton of signups just because they're part of the um, just part of the Apple ecosystem. Uh, so I don't. Really Really, but but it, but for you know for Apple for um, for many of the other companies these are sort of like add-on services for Netflix it's like the whole thing it's their whole business and that also gives them an advantage I'm 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 yeah I agree I think uh, um, Netflix yeah. is a winner <laughs> I'm super I'm actually super bearish on on Apple TV Plus on the near term but like you said it, for them it's not existential for everyone else it's existential with the exception of maybe Disney you know and and like literally my kids have wanted to buy the 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 live action Lion King or well, live action in quotes or whatever and I'm like no we're waiting <laughs> we're waiting yeah. till we can you know so there's already sort of like that sort of Osborne effect yeah. with the uh, with Disney content um, real quick, Jay. I'd also add. It's, I'd just add that it's not zero sum. Like, right, you can right, have right. Disney Plus, and you can have Netflix. And I think all like all of these services are. You know, there's. I think we're doing a story on it right now, but others have pointed this out. Like, they're all kind of free in some way, shape, or form. Like the um, mm-hmm. uh, Disney, right, is going to be free for Verizon if you have an unlimited plan. Apple, and somebody's you know, free on AT and T. Yeah. Yeah, Apple sells millions of devices, uh, new devices, and if you've got a new iPhone 11, you'll get the Apple TV thing free for the first year. Uh, Peacock is kind of a, a add-on to uh, your carrier, but it's also going to be ad-supported, so that'll like make it pretty cheap or maybe even free. Um, and then what's the other one? Uh, HBO. Like if you subscribe to HBO now, like it's basically like you should just sign up for Max because it's the exact same price but more stuff. So. The, the price on this stuff is all zero in a, or can be zero for a lot of people, but it is not a zero sum. It is not either you have Netflix or you have Disney plus, uh, they can be additive. Let me, um, complimentary. just real quick because, uh, um, uh, Farhad, you want to say bye before you go? Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go okay. to my, uh, live chat on Twitter. Great, so, great, great. All right. Jay, Jay, I've got, thank you, Farhad, by the way. Thank you. Jay, I want to um, let me let me poke back once, and then and then I'll let you go too, because um, this is stuff that like Matthew Ball has talked about. This is something that um, you know the Watch Podcast has talked about. The idea that in the end, what these streaming services, at least what what Netflix has been for a certain generation, is like 
forget about like the 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 shows that get you to sign up. Oh, I got to see the Watchmen or I got to see whatever this new show is. It's really just I want to watch you know, the, the Friends or, or The Office, but also, you know, like South Park and Simpsons and things like that. And so the bearish case, which again, I thought all of, I, I agree with you. I thought all your points were great. But the bearish case for Netflix is essentially the spine is being taken out of the main use case for TV for people, which is on in the background while I'm doing my homework, while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm making dinner, whatever. And so, in a way, the challenge is is that what you're saying, they've got all of these creators, but it's not there yet, right? And so, what happens if you have this two- or three-year interregnum where the basic just put it on in the background Netflix won't have for you? Well, I mean, I don't know if you're just spitballing that, if there's data to support the idea that people just put it on the background while they're doing mm-hmm. dishes and... And, uh, or doing homework. It's so, the cotton candy make me feel good. I don't really want to. Uh, uh, what you're saying is, is like these these appointment television shows. They're like exciting. I want I want to be challenged or whatever. But most people just want something to to occupy them until they got to go so to sleep. Net, Netflix has The Office for all of 2020. Still, they did just get the rights to Seinfeld. Um, and if if they have stuff like Schitt's Creek, which fits into that. Um, so if the idea is, and I would say, like, if the idea is, like, I just want to put something on the background and don't really want to pay attention to it, like, how good does it really need to be? Uh, mm-hmm. So Netflix has a lot of programs that can fit into that, and they've, they've, they've developed a lot. I, I agree. Like, I, I would, if you're, what you're trying to say is Netflix is a little weak in the kind of 20-minute uh, light, sitcom kind of fair like sure i would tend to agree with you that they they maybe over indexed on prestige but then again that might just be the stuff that you're thinking about and stuff that we're thinking about i mean i think they are pretty broadly they've gone really broad across all kinds of categories in their content and all the things you're you know what you're saying is not something that they are unaware of and they have been bidding on all of these programs with the inside knowledge like you have to think about too like they're bidding on let's say friends and they know exactly how valuable friends is to them hbo max is bidding on friends and kind of just guessing about how valuable friends is to them well look the again i don't know that i disagreed with anything that you said i was trying to put (laughs) counterfactuals out there but here's here's why i will next time we do this actually do research again is that i'm going to try to figure out something that i can get you and and farhad to fight about and then we'll get the fireworks back 